Amen. Let us go before the Lord in prayer. Amen. Gracious Father, our heart rejoices in your love for us. Lord, it was a blessed day when we first knew you as our God. Lord, we thank you for your grace that we were ever brought to know you. Had we been left to ourselves, we would have wandered on and have remained in darkness even until this day. But Lord, blessed be your name, O God of grace, that you have revealed yourself to us, that you have brought your life to our deaths and made us alive in Christ Jesus. Lord, you brought your light to our blindness and to the darkness in which we were living and made us to behold you, the God of light. And Lord, now you're not only the greatest source of joy to our spirit, but you are all of our joy. We have no joy apart from you. Lord, whatever of comfort we find in ourselves, we know that it is but fickle. It is transitory. It is not lasting. And Lord, while it is there, it comes from you. For all these things are empty and vain and void without you. Whom, we, whom do we have in heaven, Lord, but you? And there is none upon earth that we desire besides you. And Lord, we bless you for every teaching us of the way of faith, for enabling us to cast our guilty souls upon Christ and his work on the cross. We thank you, Lord, for peace like a river that has streamed into our spirit ever since. Lord, we bless you for the power to trust you with everything else for time as well as for eternity. Lord, we are sure we never live except as we live by faith, that all else is but death. Lord, you've written death before our eyes in all of us. It is appointed unto all of us once to die and after that the judgment. But Lord, we thank you for us as believers that we do not have to fear that judgment because we are in you. Lord, we cast our anchor upon you. And because of that, we are steadfast and we are fixed and we are safe. But Lord, everything else is quicksand. All other ground is sinking sand. Lord, we cannot or we dare not find hope and comfort in the things of this world. Lord, may you be all of our expectation, all of our salvation, and all of our delight. And this morning, Lord, in this act of public worship, we would cry out, Lord, that my soul waits upon you, for our expectation is from you. Now, Lord, I pray that you may visit those of us assembled in here today. Lord, give us first a sense of, of the perfect pardon of our sins. May there be nothing between any child of yours and yourself as the great father that cannot mar the perfection of communion between us. May we know, Lord, that you have forgiven us for Christ Jesus' sake. And as for anything in us that would grieve your spirit, take it away at once and then let your spirit bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Lord, now give us the spirit of adoption. If indeed we are yours, by your fatherly love to us, we ask you, Lord, to breathe into every child of yours a sense of love and a sense of your near presence. Father, I pray and ask you this morning to take out of us every evil and every false way, every way in which we have deceived ourselves in self-deception, Lord, remove those things. Anything which looks like growth and grace, but is just pride, Lord. Take that away from us. Anything that we prize, anything that we worship in this world as idols, Lord, utterly destroy them in our life. Lord, bring us of your great love to know Christ in truth, that what we know, we may know and not think that we know, except it be in Christ. Lord, you know the trials and conditions that all of us as your people 
face this morning. We pray, Lord, that you deal with each of us in here this morning according to our special needs. Lord, we ask you to walk among us this morning. Come and look on each special case. And may there be a masterpiece of your heavenly surgery in the case of each and every one of us. Lord, many of us need comfort. Our heart is cast down within us. There are many of your saints in whose soul cries out to you. Lord, command your love and kindness this morning. And let your song be with us at this moment. May your encouragement in the spirit fill us with all joy. Father, thank you for being near to us, being a, a father who is always near to your children, who never leaves us, never forsakes us, who gives us a joy that is unspeakable and full of glory. And Lord, we pray this morning also for your gathered church around the world. For all the saints that are assembled together on this Lord's day. That the joy of fellowship may enrapture us all. That the joy of knowing you unites us together under the banner of Christ. Lord, we pray for those who are unsaved among us and our unsaved family members who are out of the way in this congregation Lord and those who we love who are unsaved Lord let them not die in their sins have mercy upon some that have a godly training but remain ungodly Lord condemn them not we pray with such a mass of guilt upon them but Lord save them have great mercy upon such as who are ignorant of Christ who don't know Christ and therefore sin, but know not why they do it. Lord, send your saving power to our unsaved family members, those whom we pray for, for their salvation. Father, we pray this morning for our sister churches, that you bless the fellowship of, of men as they gather this week for a pastor's meeting, that it may be a time of growth and encouragement and fellowship with the men and help us Lord to lead and shepherd our churches well refine our souls refine our calling to be faithful to preach the gospel to not be ashamed to not preach man's wisdom but preach the truth of your word and Lord we pray also for the preaching of the word this morning that you may prosper your word as it goes forth and Lord, let every word I speak be your words and not mine. And Lord, as we hear the word, may we hear it with ears that have understanding. May our hearts be the good ground, the good soil that receives the word and the word becomes fruitful and bears fruit in our lives. Lord, revive us by your word this morning. Encourage us by your word. Persevere us, Lord, by your word. Bless us as we prepare to hear from you this morning, Lord. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Man, that was an adaptation of one of Spurgeon's, uh, Charles Spurgeon's prayers from this uh, book, The Pastor and Prayers, a collection of his pastoral prayers uh, that he prayed from his uh, pulpit. Amen. This morning we are in Matthew, the 18th chapter. And as it says on the screen here, we're looking at the parable of the lost sheep. The lost sheep. I pray that my um, hope is that we had time to read this parable and kind of pray about it and ask the Lord for any illumination that we can get from it. And my prayer is that the Lord may bless us with our time in this passage this morning. It's Matthew 18 verses 10 through 14 and this is the reading of the word of God. 
Okay? Verses 12 through 14, rather. It says, well, I want to begin back at verse 10. Uh, just a little context here. Actually, I can go back to the beginning of the chapter, but uh, I'll explain the context of this parable in, uh, throughout this discourse in the book of Matthew. But just looking at verse 10, uh, backing up a couple of verses here. He says, take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, their angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. For the son of man has come to save that which was lost. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the ninety nine and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? And if he should find it, assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that did not go astray. Even so, it is not the will of your father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. And in this parable in context is part of the fourth of the five major discourses in Matthew's gospel. So uh, when you read Matthew's gospel, there are five different discourses or five different themes that are taking place in here. For instance, the Sermon on the Mount is a discourse. The Olivet Discourse, where Jesus preaches from the Mount of Olives, is a uh, discourse. And this parable right here is in the midst of uh, the fourth of his discourse, which covers chapters 18 through 20. And so in chapter 18, Jesus focuses on the community life that will characterize the disciples' relationship with each other and with the world at large. So that is what he is focusing on uh, in this whole chapter. And this parable is part of that, on how they should relate to one another. Because he talks about humility. He talks about punishment of those who cause offense. He talks about the parable of lost sheep and then a brother who was offended, uh, which is where we uh, get church discipline from. Uh, chapter uh, verses 15 through 20. This is how church discipline should be carried out. And then he talks about uh, forgiveness. So all these in this chapter focus on the community life that would characterize uh, the disciples as they relate to one another and extension to us as believers. So looking at that context, this parable of the lost sheep is not just for the disciples, but it also pertains to us. Now, this parable is what we call an interrogative parable. You know, you think about interrogative sentences, an interrogative sentence, you know, the word interrogate means to question. So this is an interrogative parable in which it poses a question. The first question says, what do you think? You know, referring to the verse before. It contains an introductory question which is in verse 12, followed by a hypothetical scenario and then a parable question, followed by the condition of finding, which is if. Okay, so if you look at the parable, you'll see that structure there. He asks the question, what do you think? And then he gives the hypothetical scenario. If a man has a hundred sheep and one goes astray, you know, uh, seeking uh, one uh, that is straying. That's the parable question. And then it follows with the if in verse 13, if he should find it. So that is how this parable is structured as a interrogative parable. Now, this parable is about wondering and Christ's followers and how God the Father cares for those who wander away. You do at times have some genuine followers of Christ who do wonder. Now, wonder is different from apostasy. Apostasy is falling away from the faith. As opposed to someone who may wonder for, it's usually for a season. You know, no one's going to wonder for 20 years. <laughs> you know, uh, No, they, they may wonder for a, a season. But they don't apostatize. They don't depart from the faith altogether. So that's what this parable is about. Another thing we'll talk about this. This parable does not teach 
that every believer has a guardian angel assigned to them. That's going back to verse 10 where it says, If I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Some people have taken that passage to mean that every believer has a, quote, guardian angel. But the Bible does not support that. Uh, these angels do care for God's children. And they have continuous communication with God the Father in regards to how to look after the Lord's little ones. But each one of us don't have an angel assigned to us. I don't believe that when people say that. The little ones in this parable, in verse 10, are Christ's disciples and followers. And so the point of this parable is that if a shepherd would go after a lost sheep and rejoice when he finds it, how much more will God search for a lost and strayed person and rejoice when he recovers that person? There will be great rejoicing when that happens. It reminds me of the parable of um, the prodigal son. Kind of the same thing. Um, the same thing. So the big idea is that the actions and attitudes of the shepherd mirror God's. And should be present within the community of believers. Again, as I said earlier, this parable is not just for the disciples, but it's also a, a lesson to us uh, as believers on how we interact with a, a believer, a church member, whatever, who, who strays, but then comes back to the flock. Our attitude towards them. We see uh, God's attitude toward it, and that is how our attitude should be. Amen. So we have three principles here. In short, the first principle is that God shows special concern for little ones. So if we look at verses 10 and 11, take heed that you do not despise any of the little ones. For I say to you that in heaven, the angels always see the face of my father who is in heaven. For the son of man has come to say that which was lost. So here. Little ones can mean all the disciples or perhaps those in the Christian community who are weak, who are babes, who are new converts, who are lowly in mind, uh, etc. And we're not to look down on them in a condescending way. You think about in community believers, you have some Christians among the family of God. Who are weak in faith. It doesn't mean that they have no faith. They're just weak in faith. They're not as, as, as spiritually strong as some others. As more seasoned saints. Some of them can be saved for 5, 10, 50 years, 15 years and still be kind of weak and have struggles in the same areas. Is there something wrong with that? No. And what this is teaching us is we ought to treat them the same as we would treat others. We're not to show partiality. And babes in Christ, those who are new converts. I was, uh, Wednesday night, I was giving my you know, testimony of you know, when I was in college. And, you know, I was, man, I had a lot of zeal, but not according to knowledge. <laughs> you know, I was, I was uh, what they call cage stage. I was, I was sending everybody to hell. You know, I was condemning everybody because, you know, I was in a very legalistic religion, uh, religious system, and and uh, I was just, I was a babe. I didn't know better. I, I just didn't know. I was just like a wild, I was like a bronco. I was just wild. I was a babe. And we must be patient with babes in Christ, those who are new converts. We're not to exacerbate them. We're not to grieve them because we were new converts at one time. And so we, when we think about little ones, that's what we have to think about. Disciples of Christ and also those in the Christian community who are weak. Those are the ones that we attend to the most. Now, why, you may ask, why is this wrong? Well, because in heaven, it says in the scripture, that angels are in constant communication with God the Father. And Christ gives that cause. They're looking after them and protecting them. And this is a reinforcement of warning against those who despise the little ones back in uh, verses 6 through 9. 
Because look at what Jesus said going back to verse 6. He says, whoever causes one of these little ones who believes in me to sin, it will be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses. For offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom the offense comes. So here he's speaking of little ones primarily as children, but he is also speaking of those who may be spiritually uh, weak. That if you cause them to sin, cause them uh, who believe in him to sin, that it would be better for you if you hung yourself and threw, hung a, a chain around your neck with a brick attached to it and throwing yourself into the sea than to cause one of his little ones to stumble. So that's how serious it was. So that's why he said, verse 10, take heed that you not despise one of these little ones. It's a reinforcement of that warning and it's an encouragement to those who are precious among the saints. That we're not to cause them to stumble, we're not to cause them uh, to sin. God is always watching over his little ones and he implores his angels to do so. Okay. It is also wrong because Jesus came, as he said, to seek and save that which was what? Lost. So why would we despise and look down on those whom God came to save? Think about that. We're not to look down on them and despise them or, or turn our noses at them or be condescending toward them. Why? Because those are the ones whom he came to what? To seek and to save. And we have to be careful about that. So Matthew wants his readers. Uh, Klein Snodgrass said this in his commentary. He said, uh, Matthew wants his readers to apply the character and desires of God to their relations in the community, especially those who appear to be marginal. Marginal meaning those who are the weak among them. Matthew is showing us God's attitude toward them and how our attitude should be toward them. Which leads to our next principle here. God's actions and attitudes are mirrored concerning his sheep. So the actions and attitudes portrayed in this parable mirror the actions and attitude of God the Father. He says again, what do you think? He asked him that question. So Jesus here draws the Old Testament imagery of God's people as both secure sheep. You know, we have Psalm 23 for that. The Lord is my shepherd. Okay. So he draws imagery of them as secure sheep and then also straying sheep. So he paints both pictures of them. So again, Psalm 23 shows God's people as secured sheep the Lord is our shepherd we shall not want he provides for us as his sheep but then you have passages that point to straying sheep such as Psalm 119 and 176 which we just got finished reading I have gone astray if you look on the back of your bulletin you'll see that very last verse at the bottom I have gone astray like a what lost sheep the psalmist asked God to what? Seek your servant. For I do not forget your commandments. That is the picture of saints that stray. As I said a few minutes ago, saints do stray sometimes. We have seasons of straying. We have seasons of straying. Sometimes we stray. Whether it's a spiritual straying or a physical strain. We do do that sometimes. And what do we do? Lord, seek us. Seek me. Bring me back into the fold. The shepherd, what does he do in this parable? So Jesus says here, he leaves the 99. So Jesus asked the question again, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one who is straying? 
There are two things to note in this. And I said this before, and I can't emphasize enough. A distinction must be made between a strained believer and a lost believer. In this parable, it refers to the former, not the latter. This parable refers to a straying believer. Like this sheep strayed from the flock. It was not lost at this point. And this is not solely the responsibility of the leaders of the church. That's something else to note. The shepherd to go after the straying sheep. But the whole community of believers, it is the responsibility of the community of believers to go after those who are strayed. Not just sitting back and letting the pastor or the elders or the, or the deacons of the church do it. It is the responsibility of all the saints to go after a believer who has strayed from the flock. Because after all, we are a community of believers. <clears throat> and we have this responsibility towards one another. Now, if a shepherd is not willing to lose a sheep, but searches for it and rejoices when he finds it, by analogy, the same is true of God. God is like the shepherd. He is not willing that any be lost. <clears throat> this parable is addressed to the whole community, not just the leaders. So that's what we see here. God is the same way. He is like a shepherd. And he is not willing to let any be lost. He's a good shepherd. Jesus called himself the good shepherd in John the 10th chapter. When David was speaking of the shepherd in uh, Psalm 23, he was speaking of Christ. That was a foreshadowing of Christ as the true shepherd. David himself was a shepherd. Remember, David was a type of Christ as king, and he was a shepherd. He knew what it meant to have sheep who strayed. So what happens when that wandering sheep is found? He says, and if, verse 13, he should find it. Assuredly, I say to you, he rejoices more over that sheep than over the 99 that do not go astray. So when the wandering sheep is found and returns to the flock, rejoicing should take place. God himself rejoices when a believer who has gone astray has come back into the fold. So guess what? The saints, the community of believers should do the same thing. They should be happy. They should rejoice when one comes back. We should look at them and say, where are you being, stranger? <laughs> no, a stranger is not a family member. Okay? A stranger means that person is what? Is, 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 is outside. They're not part of the family. Like they're, they're imposing on us. Like they're an imposter. No, when, when, when a, a saint who's strayed comes back, you don't say, where are you being, stranger? You say what? Welcome home. Welcome back. That is the I've seen that happen before in, in uh in churches. With somebody who's who's kind of strayed, they come back and people are like, Where you being stranger? Hey stranger. And no, they just strayed. They didn't they didn't walk away. They 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 didn't apostatize. You come in and say, Hey, you know, instead of saying, Hey, welcome back home. Hey, brother so and so is is back and everybody's happy and goes and, you know, says hello to him or whatever. Shake hand, whether it's a brother or sister in Christ, you know, you, you, you rejoice. You don't treat them like, you know, they're outside of the family of God when they just strayed. And that's what we see in this passage. And that is the attitude and heart of God. And that should be our attitude and heart also. And why? Because that leads to our third principle. God does not will for his little ones to perish now conditionally a dangerous yet real possibility is that apparent followers of Jesus may not be true disciples at all but only professing believers like Judas I'm sorry not Judas like Judas Iscariot the one who betrayed Christ When Jesus says in this parable, if he finds it, don't let that fly off your head. And if he should find it, it being the strange sheep, if he finds it. So that is conditional. 
Because that means uh, by implication that sometimes that sheep may not be what found because that sheep was ultimately lost. That sheep proverbially was not ultimately part of the flock. And this reminds us of Judas. Judas was one of the twelve. When they sat down and ate, <laughs> had supper, Jesus said, one of you is the devil. And they all sat around and looked at each other, wondering who in the world he was talking about. Judas was called the son of perdition. He was the one who was marked out to betray Christ. But yet he was what? One to twelve. He saw the miracles. He was there when the 5,000 uh, were fed. He was there at the Mount of Tr Transfiguration. He saw all the glory of Christ. But yet the whole time he was an imposter. He was a he was a counterfeit. He was a false professor. He professed it. But he wasn't a true believer. So if he finds it in his parable. Takes on greater meaning. Some who. Stray. Are not straying. They're apostatizing. They're departing from the faith. They don't have to uh, physically denounce their faith, but their life has shown that they have walked away from the faith. Those are the ones who won't be found when they stray and they apostatize. This parable is not speaking of them. So if they are found, guess what? They're restored. But some will never be found. I've been a Christian for 31 years and I've seen uh, many people apostatize and it's always heartbreaking especially people that I know they apostatize they depart and uh, it's, 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 it's really sad to see uh, but for the grace of God there go I or there go us but this condition in this in this parable matters if he should find it. If he should find it. So we must always keep that in mind that there is a condition on it. The father watches over his little ones. Therefore they cannot be lost. But they may stray. Always remember this. A true believer cannot be eternally lost. A true believer as I said. Over and over, a true believer may stray, but they will never be eternally lost. Why? Because God watches over his little ones. As Aussie Sproul famously said in his poetic way, if you lose it, you never had it. And if you had it, you'll never lose it. A true believer will not lose his or her salvation. We are, as uh, Peter says, we are kept by the power of God. Jesus loses none who are his. That's uh, Matthew 6. John 10. I'm sorry, John 6. John 10 in, in his uh, Good Shepherd uh, discourse, Jesus said that uh, no one can pluck us out of his hand. A true believer cannot be eternally lost. They may stray. But they won't be eternally lost. Because the father watches over his little ones. And this theme is repeated by Christ in John's gospel. Again, I give you those specific uh, verses. John 6 and 39. John 10 and 28. And John 17 and 12. John 6 and 39 says this. Jesus said, this is the will of the father who sent me. That of all he has given me, I should lose nothing. But should raise it up at the last day. John 10, 28, which I reference. Jesus talking about his sheep and I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish 
Y'all hear that, saints? Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. When God saves you, you're kept. You may stray, but you're going to come back because you are his. If you don't come back, you never were one of the sheep. That's an encouragement. He doesn't lose those who are his. John 17 and 12 in his high priestly prayer. While I was in the world, I kept them in your name. Them meaning the disciples, his followers. Those whom you gave me, I have kept. And none of them is lost except the son of perdition. And that's Judas. Judas was the son of perdition. It was marked out for him. And perdition means destruction, by the way. So Jesus did as the Father had told him. He, he kept all those who were his. Paul says, 1 Timothy 2 and 4, that God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's what it says here at the end of this parable. Even so, it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that any one of these little ones should what? Perish. It's not his will. Now, some people have taken this verse in 1 Timothy 2 and 4 to say that God wants everybody, well, that everybody's going to be saved, rather. Because it is not his desire that no one should perish. Universalists have, the universalists have taken that to mean that, see, everybody's going to be saved. But that's not what the scripture says. He does not will for anyone to perish. But that doesn't mean that no one is going to perish. Those who reject Christ, guess what? They will perish. They are already perishing. So that's what we must understand about this. The father watches over his little ones and they cannot be lost, though they may stray at times. If you strayed before, be comforted by that. Be encouraged by that. But man, I always say, if you feel yourself strained, claw your way back, pray, seek God. Don't just try to coast alone because that's, that's how, that's, uh, you know, that'll take you down the road to apostasy. When you feel yourself spiritually just kind of strained and just that, that joy is not there, seek God. Amen. Pour yourself into his word. Pray. Ask the saints to pray with you. Because one thing that the devil would love to do is just, is just to isolate you. Keep you out there on your own as a free agent. And you just lose all your desire for the Lord. When you feel that coming, <laughs> look, go on a fast, something. Pray, seek the Lord, ask the Lord to seek you out. Do that. Don't just, uh, because some people, they, they just kind of try to coast their way in, and that's not the way, not the way it works. Amen? We're in spiritual battles, it's spiritual warfare. And Satan does not relent in his attacks on us at all. He doesn't relent. He doesn't have all power. He's the God's devil. But, First Peter 5 tells us that he is like a roaring lion. Roaming to and fro. Seeking whom he may devour. But Peter says what? Resist him. Steadfast in the faith. Resistance is an, is an action verb. You know, we, we're not to be passive. We are to resist the devil. We resist him through the word. Through prayer. Through seeking God. We pray and ask the Lord to rebuke him. We can't do that ourselves. Amen. So what are the implications here? As we close. Number one. God has limitless grace. 
He has limitless grace. God will seek the lost and restore them. And we ought to mirror that same grace, as I said, within the church and in, in the Christian community. We ought to mirror this same grace. We ought to extend the same grace to others as God has extended to them and also to us. Number two, the young, weakest, and sickliest of his flock are just as dear to God as the strongest. We ought to demonstrate that same care for the flock of God. The, the young, the weakest in faith, the sickliest, we are they are just as dear to God as the strongest in the faith. And guess what? We ought to treat every believer as such. You, you all remember those here who have been here long enough when uh, we had uh, Paulette and John coming from the nursing home. You know, somebody used to go up and get them and, and then bring them back. And, um, you know, we, we tried to care for them just as we care for everybody else. And I think we did a um, pretty decent job with that in caring for uh, them when they were here with us. That's how, that's a picture of how that is supposed to look. We care for people. And and uh, for the weak, for the sick among us, if we have a church member who's 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 very sickly, you know, Paulette had uh, you know cerebral palsy, but you know we still cared for. And John was you know wheelchair bound, but you know we still care for him. And that's an example of how we ought to be with every believer. That because what they're just as dear to God as we were and that's how the family of God should look we shouldn't show any partiality I've been part of churches where you have people who were just weak members like they were just weak in the faith like just constantly weak constantly need encouragement yes it can be tiring sometimes but guess what we are still called as believers to treat them as being just as dear to God as everyone else that's part of what it is to be in community I mean, we got family members like that, right? Some just can't seem to get their act together. But they're still family, right? <laughs> you know, the family get together, you always got that. Well, the stereotype is the one crazy uncle or whatever. You know, any guys in here a crazy uncle? Probably not, okay. <laughs> you know, they say every family got that crazy, that, that cousin Eddie, you know, <laughs> from National Lampoons, <laughs> you know, that, that uncle that, you know. Cousin Eddie was something else, wasn't he? But they still dealt with him, right? I'm sure he got on everybody's nerves, but, you know, he was Cousin Eddie, so everybody, you know, still had to deal with him. But in the family of God is even, is even more special that we do that and we uh, tend to them. Number three, uh, God not only cares for sinners outside the community, but also for the questionable within the community. That goes back to the last one that we talked about. Those who are really struggling. Those who don't know the Lord within our congregation. We ought to tend with them too. We ought to care for them and disciple them to Christ. Not, hey, you know, they're not saved, so you just kind of cast them to the side. No, we, we, we care for them also and disciple them to Christ. Another implication is that uh, joy should mark the Christian community, especially when they strain brothers and sisters restored. We talked about that. If someone strays and comes back, man, we rejoice. We, we praise the Lord. We have a celebration because they came back. They strayed. And lastly, God's grace is our greatest hope. We're to share God's grace with the world. Perhaps we may, we, we may unknowingly know people who have, have strayed. 
they need to know of God's grace that, hey, the Lord is seeking you. Receive his grace. Come back to the flock. Come back into communion with the saints. You know somebody who's just strayed from, from, from fellowshipping with, with the saints. Share God's grace with them. Let them know that the saints love you. That the saints want to see your face. That's a great source of encouragement. Not the saints going to see them. Shouldn't have left in the first place, you know. No. Encourage them to... (laughs) Encourage them to... You know, encourage them with the grace of God. <laughs> now, we may think that in our minds, you know, yeah, you know, we may, we may think that, which we shouldn't, but, you know, sometimes we, we have sinful thoughts. Amen. We sin in our thoughts, too. Uh, but just encourage them with the grace of God. Say, hey, come back to the flock. Be and fellowship with the same. That's where you get your joy from. That's where you get your strength from. That's where you get your encouragement from. You're, you're, you're worshiping with other believers. That community. I'm going to tell you something. The only true community is the Christian community. The only true community. Is the community of saints. Why? Because we have a common savior. We have a common inheritance. We have a common Lord. And as the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, we, we have a common future. We have a common story that we were all in darkness. We were all without hope in this world until God saved us. And when he saved us, we became reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. That's the only true community that exists is the community of believers. Amen. And trustworthy. The Christian community is the only true community. Not the black community or the homosexual community or the LGBTQ community. You hear those terms bandied about a lot. No, those are not true communities. Because within those communities, you have little factions, little groups here and there. They're they're not one big community that has a, a common goal or common purpose. Every group within those groups have their own purpose. So it's not a true community in the sense. They don't have a common unity together. But guess what? As Christians, we have a true community because we have one Father who is God. We all, as believers, have been adopted as his children. That is true community. When you're saved, guess what? You become one of God's children. Full stop. No one can take that inheritance away from you. No one can take your eternity away from you. There's nothing in this world that can take away the promise of eternal life from any believer. No matter what. As Paul said in Romans 8, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's community that all of us belong to. The things on this earth, the things of this earth can be taken away from us just like that. You could be kicked out of a community. Okay. You could be kicked out of the quote LGBT community if you don't believe that men can get pregnant. You can't be part of the community if you think that. If you think that men can't get pregnant. I'm sorry. You can't be part of that community. Why? Because that's what that community espouses. Now, in the Christian community, if you believe some false doctrines and false teachings, you're not part of the community anyway. You're not a true believer. All that to say that those who are strained need to be invited back to that only true community because they're looking for it out in the world and it's not there. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. True community does not exist in any of the world systems. It's a false community. It's a, it's a false sense of hope. It's a false sense of security. It's a false sense of belonging. Why do you think people join gangs? For a sense of belonging. That's why they join gangs. 
yeah, this is this is the, these are my brothers, man. We, you know, that's what they believe. They join gangs because they have a sense of belonging. That's why that's why little boys join gangs, because they had they come from broken homes. Most almost, hundred percent of them come from broken homes, where there's not a father in the home, being raised by a single mom. Uh, and, and so they don't have their father there in the home. So they look to their gang leaders as their as their fathers, as, as surrogates, basically. And they join these gangs as a, if you listen to them talk, that's what they say. It's a sense of community. These are, these are my brothers right here. Yeah, you got to sell drugs and shoot people together as a gang because that, that's the so-called brotherhood of that. But where does it lead to? Death. It leads to destruction. So in, in a sense, it's not a true community because it leads to death. It leads to annihilation. It leads to destruction. We need to tell people there is one true community that you could be part of, and that is the community of believers. What greater community there is, people, than to belong to the people of God. And those who are strained with grace, we tell them, hey, come back and be part of this great community. Amen? Let us pray. Father, thank you for this great hope that we have in you. Thank you, Lord, for the community of believers. Thank you, Lord, that you seek those who stray and Lord that they are found they come back and we rejoice Lord that is such a, a act of grace from you and that is such a great picture of how we ought to be as believers Lord I pray for anybody in here or any other churches or anybody who hears this podcast that if they're strained knowing Lord that they can come back and they will be received with joy. And then, Lord, you yourself and the angels in heaven will rejoice also. We pray, Lord, that we hold to the promise that you keep us. We are kept by your power. We are kept by Christ. And he never loses anyone who belongs to him. Father, thank you for your word this morning. May it be a great encouragement to us as believers. In Christ's name I pray, amen.